Inflation fears crush sentiment, India's massive win at COP26, and call me crazy, but I like Rivian. This is Vinay Uttam, your resident stock doctor, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Stock Doctor. I have a packed episode for you guys uh, this week as we experienced a week where the bulls and bears were in a tug of war and a certain automaker had such a blockbuster IPO that it made its way straight to the Dr. Dissect segment. So let's not waste any time, let's head straight to the first segment, the Doctor's Weekly Snapshot. Now guys, if you skipped the first few days of the week and tuned in during the last two trading sessions, you would have thought nothing's changed with regards to the market's direction, it's just keeping, keep, it just keeps going up. And you would have been so wrong. Because after a long time, all three indices actually registered weekly losses. And I think the last time this happened was all thanks to the September curse. October was a, was a cruise for the markets. The Dow was down by 0.6%. The S&P 500 was down by 0.3%. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq slipped by 0.7%. And they have one uh, uh, entity to thank for, one metric to thank for, which is surging inflation. That's right. Last week, we got October's CPI numbers. CPI numbers gauge the state of the inflation. Uh, and they were bad. Okay, they were real bad. Consumer prices surged 6.2% compared to a year ago and was the fifth straight month when these numbers were higher than 5%. Oh, and by the way, according to Seeking Alpha, this is the fastest rate at, uh, rate at which inflation has surged since 1990, the year I was born. Not, nothing related, just thought I'd put there. Put, I'll, I'll put it there. Put simply, everything is pricey in the US and the consumers are feeling the pain. Now, if you remember last week, I mentioned how McDonald's had a great quarter, partly due to their ability to pass this higher prices to the consumers. Now, while businesses such as McDonald's can do this now, can afford to do this now without uh, getting a sales hit, I can't imagine this being a sustainable strategy if the prices are going to go up. And trust me, they are going to go up at least until sometime next year, when the Federal Reserve finally completes its taper and begins to increase the interest rates. Friday's report on consumer sentiment clearly demonstrated uh, that, you know, you can't keep uh, uh, passing on the higher prices to the consumers because the consumer sentiment hit a 10-year low, low, according to Friday's report, which just goes to show how the surging inflation, driven by factors such as rising oil prices and used car prices, is eroding faith amongst consumers. The market seemed to take its in stride for now. Yes, there was heavy selling on Tuesday post the report, but the declines were you know, largely reversed to a great extent by Friday. So the market seemed to take it in stride for now, but don't expect them to be patient if this trend continues. I was expecting, you know, I was actually feeling very confident after October that markets would uh, close out 2021 with record highs, but now I'm not so sure. There were plenty of uh, other newsmakers as well. Inflation was the main villain and, you know, was the main metric, but there were plenty of other newsmakers as well. The final bastion for U.S. conglomerates, the idea of a conglomerate, the last entity standing, also with the dust last, last week as General Electric decided that it will split itself up into three businesses, thereby marking the end of an era, not just for the company, but it looks like it's the end of an era for conglomerates as, as, as a whole. While some would see this as a sign of extent to which uh, you know, GE has fallen, and make no mistake, it has fallen, I, I think in the long run, it's fantastic news for the company, as it's now in a position to allow their respective individual divisions to focus on their competitive advantage. A certain hedge fund played a major role behind this move, certain activist hedge fund, but, and, and I think, you know, uh, uh, industry, fo uh, I think 
focusing on your competitive advantage is the future. And and I think I'm, I completely agree uh, with with uh, with the hedge funds move and eventually General Electric's move to finally split off. I think it was about a long overdue actually. In the long run, I'm absolutely certain that the decision to split would be seen by many as a masterstroke from CEO Larry Culp. I actually tip my hat off to you, sir. That's a great move. Finally, there was a blockbuster IPO as well as EV player Rivian Automotive uh, went public in what was the world's biggest IPO for 2021, raising $12 billion and getting a valuation of a little over $100 billion. Yep, that's right, $100 billion. Oh, and, 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 and let's, let's make this interesting. The $100 billion valuation was achieved for a company that has not made a single sale and has, and has generated losses of close to a billion dollars. Just putting it out there. And if you don't think that's crazy, I'll give you more. Rivian is now valued more than General Motors, about $89 billion, and Ford, which is $79 billion. So conventional um, um, automakers, conventional wisdom out of the window. No sale, close to a billion dollars, burning cash, and yet the valuation, more, the, yet that, yet that it has a valuation that is more than two of the most established automakers in, in the United States. Now, I'm guessing you're not going to touch this stock even with a 50-foot right? 50 pole, right, after hearing this? Well, let's make this real interesting and real crazy. What if I were to tell you that I actually like this stock? In fact, I like this so much that I've dedicated a full segment to it. Now, I'm guessing that you finally found your answer to your question, to, to the question that I posed in the podcast, what happens when an academic becomes a stock picker? And you're probably thinking the academic's gone crazy. No. Before you make that judgment, before you make the judgment of whether I've gone crazy, please listen to the doctor's uh, doctor dissect segment because that is where I will split, I will rip apart uh, Rivian, I will dig deep and I will give you a, give you a proper uh, justification as to why I like this stock. And if you're still not convinced, call me crazy. But before that, we have one more segment to finish before I dig straight to Rivian and that is doctor goes home. So let's straight, you know, let's just, let's just go straight home now. So next segment, the doctor goes home. Welcome to the Doctor Goes Home segment. Now, thanks to the outcome of the COP26 summit, which came to an end in Glasgow last week, all eyes are now on the Indian solar industry. During the summit, India launched the Green Grids Initiative One Sun, One World, One Grid. Now, here's the abbreviation GGI Osovog. Okay, the GGI Osovog. Pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, pretty interesting abbreviation, I would say. Anyway, <laughs> India. I, I digress. Uh, India launched the green. Uh, India launched the. Let me get it again. GGI Osovog initiative with the goal to creating a round-the-clock solar power network by harnessing solar en energy wherever the sun is shining. Last week, the United States also joined as the 101st member of the International Solar Alliance, thereby rubber-stamping this ambitious initiative. Now, I think this is a fantastic initiative since I've always been of the opinion that India is well positioned to be a world leader in solar energy simply because there is a lot going around and simply because we have the potential for it. For far too long, we have been over-relying on coal and the hefty import bill on oil that we have to bear, given that over 80% over 80 of the crude is imported. And this is a major detriment to the country's growth ambitions as far as I'm concerned. You can't say you want to be a $5 trillion economy and then ha still have a, you know, a hefty import bill, uh, imp uh, it, all thanks to because, you, you know, you're importing oil, which, you know, soon enough uh, would become uh, uh, yesterday's, uh, you know, would become a thing of the past. Now, in addition to overcoming these deterrents, for me, the biggest takeaway from the GGI also Vogue initiative, I'm getting the hang of this, is that it makes India a powerful influencer in reshaping the global policies in the renewable space. Look, I'm, I'm all for setting net zero targets and I applaud the West for taking the leadership in this aspect. 
But to expect developing nations to follow suit along the same lines as the developed market without any compensatory relief in return is frankly ridiculous. And both from an investor point of view and from, from somebody who's from the emerging markets, from India. To the developed nations, let me just po point it out this. To the developed nations, you've had your party and the party was fabulous. Everybody had a great time. But sadly, your music subscription has ended. Accept it and move on. And just because your subscription is ended and therefore you can't play music, therefore you can't have any party, doesn't mean that you get to cancel your neighbor's party just out of spite or just out of jealousy. As the leader of the GGI Osovog initiative, I told you I'll get the hang of it by the end, India has now the power to prod, cajole and influence the Western nations into realizing this truth. Your party is over. Help if you want the others to stop the party. Help. Send appropriate help. Now, moving aside from politics, coming into the investment side, another major advantage of this agreement is that it should boost the government subsidies for the solar companies back here. And it would give the industry a much needed boost, especially given the fact that, you know, moving forward, we're going to, uh, we're going to be relying too much on the, in the solar industry. Solar companies back home in India, they're going to have a great time. Let's face it, solar is the answer to our energy problem, 100%. In India, if you if the renewables, uh, the conundrum of uh, surrounding renewables, solar is the only, only one that can solve it. And therefore, it is imperative for our future that we ensure that this industry succeeds. The country aims to generate 280 gigawatts of solar energy by 2030. 280 out of four, so remember, the total gigawatt uh, capacity that India is targeting is 450 gigawatts by 2030, of which 280 gigawatts is going to come from, so from solar energy. If that's the aim, then what I'm trying to say is the GGI Osovog initiative should go a long way in helping the country accomplish this. And this is why it brings back to the point why it's such a fantastic initiative and why it was right for India to take the lead. As for individual stocks who uh, stand to benefit it, you do not need to look any further than, than India's AA billionaires, Ambani's Reliance Industries and Adani's Adani Par. And I've already done a, few, a big segment on this a few weeks back. With that, it's time for our final segment, Dr. Dissect. The time has now arrived for us to get to the bottom of Am I Crazy for liking Rivian Automotive, ticker symbol R-I-V-N. First a little, so, oh, by the way, welcome to the Dr. Dissect segment. This is where we find out whether I'm crazy or not. First, a little backstory on the company, on Rivian Automotive, that is. The company is an EV maker, but is not a conventional one for several reasons. For starters, the company is only targeting the pickup and the SUV sectors of the automotive industry. So no, there will not be a comparison with Tesla Model 3. Put simply, in simple terms, Rivian is just simply interested in manufacturing electric pickup trucks and electric SUVs. No other PV vehicles, at least as of now. Okay? Trucks and SUVs, by the way, account for more than 70% of new vehicle sales in the US and account for the highest margins according to, the Rivian's, according to Rivian's amended S1 filing. And what's an S1 filing? It's a document that the company has to file with the Securities and Exchange Commission as part of the IPO documents. Now, here's where I'm going to throw in a little bit of numbers to, 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 to make my case. The same S1 filing amended document also outlines that what is called the total addressable market or, or TAM. TAM represents the total global market opportunity for Rivian's business. Now Rivian estimates its global consumer TAM, in other words, the total addressable market of consumer vehicles 
for the in, uh, for consumer vehicles uh, in the industry that Rivian is going to operate in to be approximately eight trillion dollars, based on estimated market sales of eighty-one point one million new vehicles per year. With respect to global commercial TAM, so the total addressable market of commercial vehicles, the company sees a $649 billion opportunity on the back of estimated sales of 6.5 million new vehicles per year. So simply at a macro level, if you were to just look at the market opportunity for Rivian, we can safely establish the company is operating at a space which is set for an explosive growth in the coming years. Doesn't matter whether it'll achieve it, but the potential is there. And oh, by the way, by focusing on the electric pickups truck sector, Rivian has chosen an EV sector or a, or a, or a particular particular EV, EV space that has no Tesla influence and one that is essentially a blank canvas at this moment. What is, what is surprising is, despite Rivian's electric pickup competitors, the Tesla Cybertruck, which is Tesla's representative for the sector, and, and yeah, the, exactly, the one that looks like an offspring of a Lamborghini and a Batmobile. Uh, that's the one, yeah. And the Ford F-150 Lightning, I've already spoken about this when I was discussing uh, Ford in one of my segments, uh, of one, of the, one of the episodes uh, back in the past. So, you know, in spite of, uh, uh, you know, despite uh, their uh, Rivian's competitors announcing their own electric pickup versions, neither one of them has entered the production stage. Rivian's R1T, by the way, that's the pickup truck of Rivian, on the other hand, has, you know, although a small number has been produced and existing deliveries have been to their employees, the production has actually started for R1T. Remember, blank canvas, competitors yet in the production phase, Rivian's already trying the market, trying and testing the market, and so there's always, you connect all together, there is a potential advantage for Rivian there. The initial reviews that are that, uh, you know, the initial reviews of the Rivian struck R1T are that it is the real deal. So not only is Rivian operating in a sector that has an explosive potential, but it has also entered an area where it doesn't have to play catch up with everybody. And that is the that is the beauty of at which, uh, you know, at, at which the company has actually uh, made its business model. OK, I've talked about the global industry. Maybe you're not convinced. Now let's talk about the order book, especially since the biggest criticism the company has been facing is that its valuation is laughable, given that it's got no sales. Look, the critics are right. It's got no sales yet. I don't disagree with it. But the key word to focus is yet. It has no sales. It has, it has uh, no sales yet. But that doesn't mean it's got nothing in the pipeline. Rivian has a deal with Amazon, who, by the way, is one of the company's biggest investors with a stake greater than 20%. Rivian has a deal with Amazon for 100,000 electric pickups to be delivered by 2025. Even Tesla did not have such an order cushion at the time of its IPO, and we all know where Tesla is right now. Critics will now say, obviously, that for 100,000, you know, that a deal for 100,000 pickups is good, but this would mean that the company will be too busy working for Amazon for quite a long time. I say, so what? Given that Amazon is a major shareholder, one thing is clear, those 100,000 trucks will will be delivered, especially since Amazon has more to lose than gain by reneging the deal or letting the deal fail. And isn't, and, and, and isn't this kind of certainty a good thing? I would rather prefer to be with a company that has orders from a credible player compared to a company that is relying too much on non-binding, fully refundable $1,000 deposits, as is the case with Rivian's competitors. So yes, talk about having no sales all you want. I would rather focus on the future sales, especially if it's coming, coming from someone like Amazon. Fine, not convinced yet? No problem. Let's talk about the company's ecosystem. 
The company does not just deliver trucks and SUVs, but also plans to offer financing, insurance and vehicle services. Not to mention the company's proprietary end-to-end -end centralized fleet management subscription platform called Fleet OS. Now, I've not heard many people talk about the potential of Fleet OS simply because, probably because they're, you know, they're dumbfounded by the valuation of the company or simply because they hate the company. I don't know. Nobody talks about the Fleet OS, which I think is, is, is a goldmine in waiting. The fleet management industry is a lucrative one, and as the world accelerates its electrification, players like Rivian stand to gain from their features such as the fleet OS. The US Energy Information Administration, the USEIA, projects that by 2050, 31% of the global light duty vehicles will comprise of EVs, up from 0.7% last year. For Rivian, this is once again where the 100,000 order comes into play. If they successfully, if they can successfully deliver this, which I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain that they will, then not only will they have satisfied one of the largest players in this segment, but also opened the door for more, more orders, both from Amazon and potentially its rivals. I wasn't bluffing when I said that they have chosen their niche very well. And if you don't believe me, then go ask one of the company's biggest competitors, Ford Motor, who has a 12% stake in Rivian. If that's not a signal that the company's prospects are good, I don't know what is. Go ahead, slam the company. Now, listen, I'm not being cocky and I'm not saying the company is without risks. I never said that. There's plenty of risks, but that is to be expected for a company at this stage. Tesla went through this too, and I'm sure some of, uh, you know, even some of Tesla's current shareholders wouldn't have believed the company would survive the face with what I'd like to call, you know, the hellish face that it was going through. So Rivian is no different, and to be honest with you, if you read the risk factor section of its amended S1 filing, 297 pages, by the way, the S1 filing, I think it's more actually, but I went through close to 300 pages, beautifully written, but if you were to go through the risk factor section of this amended filing, you would be left wondering exactly how is this company surviving? For starters, can the company, you know, if you were to talk about risk, let's talk risk. For starters, can the company scale up its operations and uh, ramp up its production? The company is going through cash like a hot knife through butter, mostly for capital expenditures and marketing expenses. And while this is perfectly normal at this stage, and while I believe that the management is smart enough to put its money to good use, there is always the risk that it will not meet its objectives. If that happens, obviously the company is in trouble. Numerous players have, uh, before Rivian have bit the dust, Nikola comes to mind immediately. So no matter how good Rivian is, we're not out of the woods yet when it comes to firm survival. Finally, as much as I love that they have a 100,000 mega order with Amazon, and while I'm certain, fairly certain, this is what, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not Nostradamus, but I'm certainly fairly certain that this is what, the, you know, what is going to put the company on the map, I would be too cocky and I would be too, un, I would be an undisciplined investor if I didn't take into account that there is a small possibility that the deal will fall through. This is what I like to call the doomsday scenario as far as the company and its investors are concerned. Because should this happen, should the deal with Amazon for some reason fall through, I agree with the critics, Rivian is kaput. And there is no two ways about it. Lastly, if you were to talk to us, this is, I've already mentioned this, this is going to be one very competitive space very soon. Ford F-150 Lightning, I absolutely love that. I've already talked about it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. The Chevy all-electric Silverado from GM, GM where I'm still along the stock, Tesla Cybertruck are all in the process of entering the segment. How Rivian's going to navigate through the challenges once its competitors enter the field is uncertain and frankly, a little scary. Overall though, 
I like Rivian. I really like Rivian so much so that I now constitutes a small portion of my portfolio. I actually bought a little, little of what I intended, the total weight. I bought a little of it uh, on, on day one. I'm still keeping it. This is a company which I believe is on the cusp of doing something great. It has a great management team in place, some credible backers in the form of Amazon and Ford. Oh, by the way, Ford, one of the greatest competitors, is backing it. And, has a and, and the company has chosen a sector that is expected to witness an explosive growth in the future. Zero sales, billion dollar losses. I get all that. I'm not dismissing that. But even after factoring all that in, the long-term potential of the company is too juicy for me to simply dismiss the company based on the present. Now, look, I'm not saying that the valuation at present is not insane. Of course it is. And I would not recommend anyone to buy the shares at these levels. In fact, I'm expecting a monster decline once the options and especially once the options and the stock options start trading. In fact, I'm praying for a decline simply because I want to buy more. I'm not going to buy at these levels. I've already got a small portion. I'm going to wait for a decline now. And, there will, and, 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 and believe it or not, I I'm off the completely agree with the critics when I say that there will be a lot of painful days. These very critics will have a field day. Short sellers will have popped their champagnes. And there will be murmurs of the company's inevitable death. Yep, I'm expecting all of this. But remember, there once was a company who went through all of that. Today, its founder is the second wealthiest individual on the planet. And the company he founded, which was supposed to be long dead by now, owns more than 20% of Rivian. That's all the time I have for you this week. If you have a specific Indian or US stock suggestion for the doctor to diagnose and dissect, do tweet me at Uttamvinay, U-T-H-A-M-V-I-N-A-Y, or email me on the Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and see you next week. Until then, stay safe and make some money. 